You're listening to Your Jewish Life, Your Way with Karen Cinnamon, the podcast that explores what it feels like to be Jewish or Jewish in 2022. On the show, we divulge all of the secrets and know-how to being confident in celebrating and living your Jewish life, your way, with easy, simple ways to embrace your mishpacha through the traditions and rituals you've been dying to learn more about. So save your kvetching, we are talking less Jewish guilt and more Jewish joy here on out. Yalla, forget about the right and wrong ways to be Jewish. It's time to create a Jewish life you love living. Welcome to today's episode. It's always so good to hang out with you, to sit with you, to be in your company and talk about your Jewish life your way. So today's an important conversation around Jewish mental health and I must say I was not expecting to break down in tears during this episode, but I did. My guest today, she got vulnerable and you know some of the things she was talking about just just had me breaking down. I was crying, which, you know, I think of myself as a professional podcaster. One doesn't do these things, but you know, that's what I love about this podcast. That's what I love about these conversations is we all get vulnerable. And yeah, I ended up crying today in this interview, which you will shortly hear. So my guest today is Law Plorka, who is a third generation Holocaust survivor and works as a mental health advisor to high schools across the United States. And I met Law earlier this year during our Jews Talk Justice program by the Tel Aviv Institute in Israel. And actually, one of the things we talked about is that unexpected sense of home when you arrive in Israel and that feeling. And we really unpacked that. But we also had a lot to say when it came to Jewish mental health, intergenerational trauma, the role of resilience in mental health. And obviously, this being your Jewish life, your way, the importance of always staying true to your core self. So hold on, buckle up your seatbelts. This is a very emotional episode. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the conversation. DM me at Your Jewish Life. With your thoughts on things, I always love hearing from you. And also, I would so appreciate if you left us a review or shared this episode with a friend. We want as many people as possible to be impacted by the Your Jewish Life podcast. So let's get people talking and joining in the conversation as well. So let's go ahead and chat with Law Plorka. So I'm so delighted to have you with me today, Laura. It's really been something I've been looking forward to for a while. Finally, we're doing this. Yes, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me today. There's so much I want to dive into. I almost don't know where to start. Maybe we should start just with you, Laura, the person. <laughs> I want to hear like, how did you get here? I mean, why are you the person I'm talking to today about Jewish mental health? It's such a big topic now, mental health in general, but Jewish angle of mental health. I'd like to learn from this episode and I'd also like to learn how you got to this place. I mean, it's a a big (laughs) question. As you said, I mean, I think my journey to this moment has been long characterized by mental health challenges and by Judaism, but as a fused lens of Jewish mental health, not nearly as long. So for my entire life, I struggled with dysregulation. Like I always felt in a really big way 
like as a child, I was so empathetic that I would have a breakdown if I could tell someone near me was struggling. And honestly, while that's something I'm able to manage in adulthood, I'm definitely still prone to this. I struggled with severe anxiety, depression, trauma, an eating disorder, and frankly, a bunch of other things that remain undiagnosed. And more than once, I nearly didn't survive my journey with my mental health to where I am now. But it was while I was in a residential treatment center nearly eight years ago, receiving a higher level of care for my eating disorder and co-occurring substance misuse that I began to explore the idea of faith in recovery. And a piece of this approach, this treatment center used for those of us who were struggling with substance misuse was the 12-step model, which while there's no requirement to be Christian or religious to use this model for treatment, it is a Christian-centric model designed to support those struggling with addiction to achieve and maintain abstinence from the substance they're using. And steps two and three of 12, I actually wrote them down as um, step two is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And what I came to understand was that I did not at that point have a relationship to a higher power. Um, So for the purposes of my recovery, I embraced a higher power as something I understood as an absolute truth, which was that the sun would rise in the morning. And while holding that to be absolutely true, when I was able to return to my university several months later, I began to ask questions of our campus rabbi and his wife, seeking to understand as somebody who was raised pretty secular, what people found so comforting and compelling about a relationship to God or to faith. And it took a lot of years of exploring what I myself felt tethered to in Jewish practice and accepting that my practice wouldn't be identical to anybody else's. But now I've found a place in which I also find meaning and purpose in my religious and spiritual connection to being Jewish as much as I do in my cultural and ethnic and historical connections to being Jewish. And a few years ago, out of a personal vested interest as a granddaughter of a living Holocaust survivor, I began exploring the connection between the Jewish history of persecution and links to intergenerational trauma. And I became engrossed with the emerging field of epigenetics and how how two things that I understand as fundamental parts of myself, my journey to understanding my mental health and my journey to understanding my relationship to Judaism, how those two things are linked. Wow. I mean, I am so pleased I asked this question. (laughs) I had no idea of that, those links and the way I I found that fascinating what you're saying about the 12 step program and so many things in our diaspora culture are connected to the Christian faith in those Mm -hmm. kind of ways. And they're not, we have to sort of find our, our own way to connect it to our faith, which is what you've done. And it just feels fascinating I'd love to learn more about it's such a huge topic obviously and I would never want to to minimize it but any I'm just thinking of practical tips for the listeners or anything that you Mm. took that you can condense into sort of a couple of practical approaches as Jews who may be suffering with with mental health and I, I know it's a huge loaded question you don't have to answer but does anything spring to mind when I say that Yeah, I mean, there are definitely like Jewish specific resources that focus on mental health that because I'm not a 
like a licensed practitioner. I do work in mental health, but I am not a licensed clinician. So I, you know, always hesitate to directly give advice just because it in some ways for me feels somewhat unethical as someone in the field, but not a licensed provider. Well, let's um, say from your personal experience, what your advice may be, is that fair? <laughs> yeah, I guess I would say that the only things that work are the things that are affirming who you already are rather than trying to change who you are, that um, you can want to change a behavior or you can want to change the function of a behavior, trying to change who you are at your core rather than affirm that through what you're looking for. It's not going to work. And you're going to find that out in a fairly painful way because, you know, you're going against your natural grain and that can be really abrasive and uncomfortable. So, you know, I guess I would say no matter what you're seeking support for, make sure that whom you're seeking support from and the methods that you are or strategies um, that you're attempting to use to cope are in line with what you already know about yourself. So it's more of a sort of acceptance and um embracing almost I mean I was particularly interested when you were saying that your empathy as a child was so intense um I personally can relate to that nowhere near as extreme as you but I in adulthood or I also and for me I always just thought it was a sort of deep sensitivity and what you're saying is it's not about I must work on myself and I mustn't be like that but is it more leaning into things I mean obviously we're talking about so many things this is such a broad broad conversation about a myriad of things but I'm just trying to sort of seize out a few action points that yeah you know to help me to help the listeners to help us because I just think what you said was so powerful and fascinating I loved it <laughs> Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it's not not a problem to, you know, dive into that a bit. I definitely fought against that level of empathy for a long, long time that I sort of saw it as like an extra ability, but not in a positive way. It took me a lot of years to understand that that could be something that was a strength because it really was debilitating to me that there were truly moments where I could not function and I could not go about my day, even just in school as a child, because I would be so upset at such a core level if someone around me was um, experiencing pain or discomfort. I, I would take that on as my own. And, you know, I'm realizing now in the ways that I'm able to bring my empathy into my work and my personal projects that I am able to to relate to people in a way that I would actually characterize as, as pretty unique and that strengthens what I'm able to do in my in my professional day-to-day -day and in my online projects. So how did Judaism play a role in your life growing up? Mm. <laughs> so I grew up in a pretty secular household and I lived in a largely non-Jewish town in my younger years. I grew up going to Hebrew school on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings in preparation to become a bat mitzvah. But other than for like Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, my family didn't attend services at our synagogue regularly. 
we observed some other holidays like Pesach and Hanukkah in the home and like honored tradition and history through seders and menorah lightings. But beyond that, I wouldn't say I learned much about Judaism as a religion through my upbringing. But as a kid, I did find myself deeply defined by my Jewish history and by my grandmother's survival of the Holocaust. Like I remember in Hebrew school one day, we watched a 2004 documentary called Paperclips. And it's the story of this tiny school with no Jews in it and very little diversity at all in Whitwell, Tennessee. And these kids, these middle school students are learning about the Holocaust and they decide to collect 6 million paperclips, one for every Jewish person who was killed in the Holocaust. And they choose the paperclip because during World War II, Norwegians wore paperclips on their lapels as a symbol of resistance against the Nazi occupation. And they were meant to show like solidarity and unity, a message that like we're bound together. And I think I saw, I must've been nine years old when I saw that documentary, but it's really when I began to own my heritage. like. <laughs> I began to fashion jewelry actually from paper clips so that people would ask me about them and I could tell them about this documentary and about the Holocaust and about my grandmother, which is just like, you know, typical schoolyard talk for a nine-year-old child. But like, <laughs> one of my closest friends actually told me not too long ago that her first memory of me when I moved to her town a few years later, around like 11 years old, and this was a town that had a large Jewish population, which was actually quite a culture shock for me. One of her first memories of me was me informing her that she might think there are a lot of Jews because there were so many there, but that Jewish people actually make up less than 2% of America's population and less than 0.2% of the world's population. And we chatted about this recently and she told me that that changed her view of the community that we lived in and the world around us. And we were both just kids. How old so were you think- at that time? I was like 11 and like wearing these dangly paperclip earrings that I had made. (laughs) But yeah, I think as a child, I just really latched on to the pieces of my history that I knew about and the themes of resilience and survival before I even knew how deeply ingrained those same themes were in the Jewish faith. Resilience. I think that is a key um, characteristic that we all need and that we don't we don't give enough attention to and nurture our kids to to be resilient enough it's something that is the number one thing I want for my kids to be resilient because that comes together with sometimes not giving them everything they want not making life feel just easy for them you know and so it's it's an interesting one but I think it is also something that I saw come up during the pandemic is here in the United Kingdom. Mm. There were a lot of people that just couldn't cope. And maybe it's me with my blinders on, but I felt like within the Jewish community here, we were just like getting on with it because, okay, right. This is something we need to get on. You know, not that we were necessarily doing any better than anyone else, but we had the attitude of, okay, we need, okay. We felt sorry for ourselves. Now we need to have mm. a plan. Yeah. Talk to me more about resilience and its place in sort of mental health and or your own mm. journey with, with it. Yeah, I mean, resilience, I think, is definitely a defining characteristic of Jewish people. You know, historically, you know, unfortunately, anti-Semitism is the world's oldest hatred, right? And there's, we have faced as a people millennia of persecution and been forced out of our homes and resettled and moved all around the world. And, you know, now half the 
world's Jewish population is in Israel, which is smaller than the state I live in, in the within the United States. And it's, I think the ways in which Jewish people move, shift, find community and settle is a form of resilience. And, mm. you know, I think that's characterized in my own journey as a Jewish person in mental health that like I, some people in my life, one friend in particular comes to mind, he says, you know, he doesn't mean it to be to be unkind in any way. He's more saying that it's a marvel to him, but he's just like, you should not have survived, that your survival defies logic and reason. Mm. And, you know, this is someone who saw um, me struggle quite a lot with my mental health, but also saw a really scary time with my physical health. And sorry, (laughs) that's an emotional time. And he's right that I should not have necessarily survived that time. And it was in that time that I was struggling so viscerally and acutely with my physical health that I think I called upon my years and years of mental health resiliency to remind myself that I have faced worse and darker and my ancestors have faced worse and darker. And it doesn't mean that I'm not in pain now, but it does mean that I know how to survive and that I know how to fight. And I just, I hold on to that when things are, when things are really challenging, I hold on to that. Mm, Gosh. And how how are you what are your thoughts on on the state of sort of being Jewish now in 2022 I mean do you have anti-semitism fatigue <laughs> burnout how's your resilience <laughs> levels <laughs> I, you know I, I I keep referencing conversations I've had with friends yeah no I love it <laughs> literally just yesterday I um sat down with someone I had not seen in five years um she actually was my roommate in my first year of university um and we sat down and we were just discussing who we were now and getting to know who we've become and the journeys and paths we've taken and she now is a is a therapist and we got to talking about you know she follows my instagram page and we got to talking about what she's learned through Jewish activists content that I've cross posted things I've posted myself. And I post a fair amount, particularly in my stories about anti-Semitism and trying to respond to it in a way, knowing that I largely have a non-Jewish audience trying to respond to it in a way that's educational and informative and non-alienating, which I would say I find that to be somewhat exhausting. I wish that there that I felt like I had allies who would educate on behalf of me as a Jew, or that people would feel compelled to self educate. I've not found that to be the case at this moment in time. And I feel very responsible for educating my audience. As a result, she asked me, she said, How do you do it? Like, you must be so exhausted. And the truth is, I, I am. But I do also see it as a responsibility. I'm somebody who lives by Tikkun Olam is the guiding principle in my life that it's, you know, a widely held Jewish guiding principle of repair the world. And if I can, through education or kindness and maybe a softer approach, but remaining firm on things that I believe in, when I am standing up for Jews online, if I can 
heal the world a little bit, even if it's just my world or the world just someone adjacent to me. I guess I believe in the butterfly effect, you know, that 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 will reach beyond me, even if I can't see it in a moment. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's quite a responsibility. Is that connect? Is that directly connected to being the granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor? Yes. So yeah, how do you deal with that sort of pressure and responsibility? I mean, it's, it's enormous. I mean, if I'm speaking, frankly, nobody's assigned that to me, but myself, you know, to the point where I've, I've sat, you know, I've sat with my grandmother and discussed that very thing. She wonders about why I feel so called to do this. And honestly, I'm not sure of the answer. I just do something in your Uh, heart. It's in your heart. It's there. yeah, Yeah, I believe I believe she survived so that I could help make the world a better place. Like I believe that, you know, all Jews survived, you know, with this guiding idea of heal the world. That means that's what we're here to do, or at least that's what it means to me. And it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, not so self-righteous. I don't believe myself to have the answers on how to do that. But I do think I am a morally guided person. Um, and I understand I've gone to great lengths to understand, you know, and address inequity where I see it inside and outside of the Jewish community. So I try really hard to live by that. Just want to take a moment to invite you over to my place. That's my Jewish community, Smashing Life, a place for everyone, Jewish or Jewish, to feel welcome. It's a non-judgmental Jewish community that nourishes and empowers you and gives you everything you need to feel Jewish at heart and supercharged in life, hosted by me, Karen Cinnamon. I'm going to hand over to one of our members, Jeanette, uh, so you can hear what she has to say about Smashing Life. I love all the perks of being in Smashing Life, from the masterclasses to the resources to the discounts the opportunity to crowdsource in the Facebook group. It all provides so many great benefits. We also have forums, recipes, book clubs, craft clubs, modern Jewish life experts, Zoom Kabbalat Shabbats, monthly expert masterclasses, social events, online and real life, discounts, gifts, and I could go on and on. It really is the place for every Jewish woman. It is super inclusive, super warm, um, and I invite you to come and join us and connect with me and hundreds of other like-minded Jewish women from all over the world. You'll find a beautiful community local to you and you'll also create new Jewish friends all over the world to share Jewish culture and joy with and learn Jewish rituals that will fill your life with purpose. So head on over to smashinglife.club and come join us. And we were lucky enough to meet in person earlier this year in Israel as part of the Jews Talk Justice program by the Tel Aviv Institute, which was incredibly impactful for both of us. And I know that you, that was part of a longer trip for you in Israel. I'm interested to hear what else you did in Israel in that trip and how that impacted your story. Sorry, am I going to? No, 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 no. That's just that's not too deep at all. It's just such a. Um, I saw. I saw. I was just me being sort of selfishly curious. I saw um, on your return, you did an, a very, very impactful Instagram reel, kind of summary of your trip, which we'll link to in the show notes. 
And I want to know more than just a reel. I want to hear about (laughs) it. Like, what did you, did you have something that you wanted to particularly discover on those tweaks? What was it about and what, what was the impact for you? Honestly, so much of that trip and what I did in my time there leading up to the time I spent at the conference found me. Um, and I didn't necessarily go there seeking it. I went there seeking um, to connect with my family, my mother's sister, my uncle, and um, her daughter. Um, Had you been to and- Israel a long, long time before? That was- oh, it was your first trip to Israel. Yeah. Wow. So I, you know, I had met her and, um, you know, like we had a whole relationship because they used to live in the United States and go back to Israel at different times. But my aunt is, my aunt loves Israel in a way that I cannot claim that I understood as a child. And transparently, I wasn't raised to have much to do with Israel. It's not, you know, like a commentary on my parents. I just knew it existed and that it was a place for Jews. And that was about the extent that we talked about it. And then I became, it got swept up in a lot of what circulates on social media and anti-Zionist rhetoric. And also just, there are things that I don't agree with, but I didn't know how to separate that from understanding the Jewish right to self-determination and owning that that is all that Zionism is, regardless of what anybody else may want to paint it as. And also understanding that I believe in the Palestinian right to self-determination and that there's evidence, a lot of evidence, historically, anthropologically, and otherwise that both groups are indigenous to the same land. And I, I can hold space for both of those things. And I didn't used to know how. So I wasn't really engaged with my aunt's love of Israel. I just, they went, she's a translator. She's a Hebrew English translator and runs a translation service. And it was her whole world that she's someone who up and moved to Israel to go serve in the IDF at a young age. And that's where she met my uncle. I went and stayed with them. They are in Jaffa. So it's a beautiful, beautiful, you know, mixed city within Tel Aviv and just absolutely gorgeous. I stayed with them and I got a glimpse into their world. And at this point that I'm going, I've already, you know, been a proud Zionist for a lot of years and come to understand nuance and my relationship to the state of Israel, but had not yet been able to experience that in adulthood in a meaningful way. And I just, I was ready to make Aliyah on like day two. Like <laughs> I was ready to move to Israel. Like the what next was it that, when I woke what made up. you feel like that? What was it that made you feel like that? There are a few things. Honestly, there was a release of tension in my body that I don't even know that I can really describe. Wow. It was like, I had been holding, I've been watching from where I live just outside of New York city and I work in New York City. I've been watching anti-Semitism in the diaspora mount in a really violent and terrifying way, having come face to face myself recently with um, people who are chanting something that is a call for my death. And um, even prior to being in this area in the last city that I lived at in shortly before I moved 
somebody um, pulled my magenta vid from around my neck and threw it to the ground and Goodness. called and called me the caseler. And I've been seeing and feeling in a terrifying way, the very things I'm speaking up against are in, they're not just in my periphery, they're right in front of me, they're happening to me. And I thank God that I haven't, you know, been hurt, and would certainly never call for harm to anybody else. And I just I got to Israel and it became so clear to me so quickly that anti-Semitism as I knew it was not a part of the day to day. And I felt I didn't know how much tension I had been holding in my body, in my neck, in my shoulders, in my back and at like the forefront of my head until it was gone. Wow. It doesn't mean that there's nothing to worry about in Israel as a Jew. We know, especially in you know recent weeks, that that's just not the case. But it means that the function of anti-Semitism is different and that the way it shows up in the day-to-day in Israel is different than it is in the diaspora. And I didn't have memories of not knowing what that felt like to carry. And once I realized that I, you know, I'd already been so excited about going, but also nervous, I hadn't traveled in the pandemic, I, you know, had made the decision to go and pursue this once in a lifetime opportunity, be a part of these conversations with Tel Aviv Institute, and also to go and see my, my family where they live. And it became more about roots connection from there, once I was able to exhale and say, okay, I've arrived. I reached out to my to my grandmother and asked for my late grandfather. My late grandfather was born in Tel Aviv. And I asked if she knew the address. And she didn't, but she reached out to my uncle and together they found it. And I went and found it. And it is the same building, you know, that you can tell from the construction and the wiring that this building is predates my grandfather. And I was able to FaceTime my dad, his eldest son, and take him into the place, the birthplace of his father where he's never been and, you know, send videos to my family who's never been. And I was able to go and find that and quite literally stand in the front yard feeling (laughs) my roots extend up and into me and welcome me home. And it was, I cried so hard. Um, I'm crying now, recounting it to you. And I've got um, goosebumps. I'm covered in goosebumps. <laughs> and I didn't go there to seek that, or I'd have tried to get that information long before. It was something that it was like it, it was like it was called to me. Several days later, I made the trip to Jerusalem for the first time, and I went to the hotel, and I went to Yad Vashem. And the night before. As I'm having dinner with my aunt and uncle, my uncle says to me, you know, you can, um, you're, you're a descendant of the Shoah, like you can give testimony at Yad Vashem. That's something that you can do. There's an office for that. And I called my grandmother. I asked her if there was anything about her testimony, which is already chronicled in the United States Holocaust Museum. Um, but that database and Yad Vashem's are linked. So um, it all exists across both places, but she, you know, she was a survivor that was interviewed as part of Steven Spielberg's larger project. So we do have her full testimony on tape, but that was filmed in 1998, I believe. And I asked her, is there anything else you need to say? Because I'm here and I can go say it for you. And 
we talked and she was able to give me the names of the righteous among nations, the righteous Gentiles that hid her, made her and her mother's survival possible. And some other things that she asked me to make sure lived in history. And I was able to go and do that and sit down with someone in the office and hear and watch my grandmother's testimony, at least a part of it. It's very long, but for the first time. So you must and, have learned a lot from her testimony. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. That the way she tells her story now is very different than the full testimony she was able to give then. You know, there's something survivors really have for so many of them. It's such a challenge to, there's so many layers of trauma that have to be peeled back to tell their story comprehensively. So I think many, many descendants of survivors, if they get to know their family story, learn it in pieces, unless that testimony was recorded earlier. And there are, of course, exceptions. There are some incredible survivors who are doing such amazing work with organizations and on social media, and their stories are not more than or less than the stories that are untold. They're just told. And, you know, I believe fiercely that it is such a privilege to, we're the last generation to live amongst Holocaust survivors. I take that incredibly seriously. Mm -hmm. So for my grandmother to trust me with more of her story, um, it's the honor of a lifetime. And I was able to give that testimony in Yad Vashem. Oh, I'm just, yeah, I can't, I, I, I'm covered in goosebumps. I'm just feeling <laughs> everything that you're saying on so many levels. And I mean, so, so many things I want to, so, so you, you experienced all those emotions, all these exhales, like you said, was it just sort of layer upon layer of that? Did it sort of build up through the trip? And then, yeah, I think Israel kept surprising me. Like, yeah. I, I think I, I didn't, I mean, when the plane touched down in Tel Aviv, I, and I've posted a video of this, I was sobbing. Like yes. I, there was, there was a feeling of homecoming that I didn't know was possible for me as someone that denied Israel as a homeland for an embarrassingly long time in my adolescence. And, but also who just didn't have memories of the land to hold on to. So I didn't quite understand how, you know, I heard that people called it home and even, you know, the amazing Ari who, you know, helped coordinate that trip and helped physically get me there. You know, when she learned that it was my uh, first time, she signed her email. We were so honored to be bringing you home. Mm -hmm. And I didn't quite know what to do with that yet. And then the plane touched down and I had never felt anything like what I was experiencing. I wasn't even out of my seat yet. Like I hadn't experienced Israel in any way, but I, mean, I knew I'm, that I'm there very, was something for me. I've been to Israel since birth, probably, because my mom's Israeli and, you know, summer's spent there. It's just a huge part of me. But just when you talk about that moment that it just felt like coming home, I was almost crying myself and I can't explain it why, because I... <laughs> I've never cried before on the podcast. I mean, apart from when my mother just died, but there's just, I don't know. I, I can't articulate it. It's home. Yeah. In a way that I truly did not know how to process. I think in some ways I'm still processing it. Um, I am crying. <laughs> <laughs> we can cry together. <laughs> we'll cry. We'll laugh because... I think, like you said, there's so much buried in our bodies, you know, day to day. 
We have been holding on for generations as a people. We have been holding on to the need for a place to call home, being expelled. And this, you know, earlier I mentioned intergenerational trauma. You know, we as a people have time and time again had to create home and create community, all the while knowing in our hearts that that was temporary and carrying in our bodies the tension of, well, when will I have to move again? When will I have to uproot my home, my family, my life again? And, you know, Israel flies in the face of that. And, you know, it, it says, you know, we're home in the place that we come from. And there's nothing more powerful than that. And it's, it's so overwhelming in such a beautiful way. And again, it is not a place, you know, nowhere, there is no place, there is no government, there is no anything that is without its flaws. I don't know perfection. I've never seen perfection. It's so, you know, it's the, it's just that simple word home. It's it's that simple. Like just like any home isn't perfect. Any parent isn't perfect, but it's home and it's, it's, Except, yeah, like we were talking earlier about you knew there wasn't the same kind of anti-Semitism in the air. It's that acceptance. It's that it's that warm embrace, which we've never felt. Yeah, even just being there the first the first Friday that I was there, my first Shabbat in Israel, just watching people wish each other Shabbat Shalom and Shavua Tov on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. I was like, I I've never had that experience. I have never <laughs> had the experience of like knowing that I was going to, I had just baked halot with my aunt and, you know, knowing that I was going to walk back into their apartment and enjoy it and, and bring in Shabbat together. No explaining. And needed. then somebody, right. And then somebody just smiled and wished me a Shabbat Shalom. And it was like, uh, just on the street as I'm approaching. And I, I've never had that ever. So it just, I think I've spent a huge portion of my adult life seeking Jewish community, because as I mentioned, I didn't really have that growing up. Um, So I think to feel it in such a profound way all at once is what I characterize as, as being inherently and beautifully unique to Israel. So how did the um, Jews Talk Justice program, which followed immediately followed that week, how did that build on, was it a sort of separate kind of impactful week or did they kind of work well together? Honestly, I think that, I think I did compartmentalize them mm. in a sense that mm. I, you know, I was coming in with a lot of feelings, frankly, unprocessed feelings about the time I had been spending in Israel leading up to that but also I've just never been invited to partake in conversations mm. about the topics we were discussing with other Jews. This was new to me and I was battling quite a bit of anxiety socially, having not socialized in the preceding two years because I really did take the pandemic lockdown very seriously and was really not very socialized these last two years. And I had my fears and anxieties about that. I, was battling a lot of imposter syndrome of wondering, you know, why me? Why am I in this room with these people having these conversations? It was something I hadn't really dared to dream for myself. So I didn't quite know what to do with myself coming into that and knew that, you know, if I was spending my entire time processing my experience in the time leading up to that, that I wouldn't be able to 
fully engage with this opportunity that was so different than anything else I'd ever had, just as the week before was so different than anything else I'd ever experienced. So I think I made a subconscious decision to allow one to inform the other without letting them blend together so that I could fully take in both and then spent a lot of time processing when I got home. Yeah. So I should really explain for anyone that doesn't know the program that both Laura and I were invited on is called Drew's Talk Justice. It's a laboratory for influencers. And we were brought in about 25 of us from all around the world. We'd never met one another. We've all completely different backgrounds, doing different things, but we're all brought in to, to connect and to learn more about at its core, how to stand up for Jews online, how to build community. And there was so much more than that. I'm just, I'm just describing it in an absolute nutshell. And there were many experiences we had, shared experiences. It was an incredible program by the Tel Aviv Institute. And I think that was very purposeful that they brought in such different people, you know, and uh, yeah, we could, we, we could talk about that for hours, but I want to lighten it up towards the end of the podcast system. So quick fire, fun questions, but before we get there, I just want to ask you one more question and it sure. kind of, in a way, I hope it will sort of almost summarize everything we've been talking about. It's a big question. What does it mean to you to be a Jewish woman? Mm, to me, being a Jewish woman means understanding that I am the living embodiment of resilience and understanding that I am the physical manifestation of millennia of survival, of a refusal to fit into a box that the world has historically tried to force me into. And being a Jewish woman to me means being full of passionate fire of the matriarchs before me and remaining relentless in my pursuit of justice and equality for Jews and anyone else who needs and has not historically had it. And it means, I guess I would say being a Jewish woman encompasses my choice to not be anyone other than fully and proudly myself and to remain unapologetic in my care for others and my predisposition to educate and to nurture so I guess in short <laughs> no, it means everything beautiful. yeah no yeah I think you man you packed a lot in there beautifully chosen mm. words that that really do it's a wonderful I, I related to, to what you were saying so we're gonna we're gonna do some quick fire fun questions mm. you can answer with one word you can expand if you want to go a bit deeper as you wish I am going to bring in some kind of fun jingle for this round because it is a bit fun <laughs> something I'm going to work on for future episodes but we'll just have to go da, da, da. <laughs> the fun <laughs> quick fire round with Lil Plorka okay favorite Yiddish word Meshuggana mm, <laughs> favorite Jewish holiday Ooh, oh that's hard oh gosh it's quick fire what's coming to what's I coming was not your head? expecting that <laughs> of course um, it's changed over time because when I grew up I didn't grow up observing Purim and yes. now it's likely Purim, but I have some exploring to do. Um, <laughs> but I think Pesach is really beautiful in its symbolism. What is your favorite Jewish food? <gasps> Being the healing oh, happy no. cook, there's a lot of pressure on you. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I think, I think it's, I'm going to go with matzo ball soup, that there's so much history. And, you know, my grandmother is the one who taught me to make it in the same kitchen where her mother taught her how to make it. And it's just it's delicious and it just holds so much love and history for me. 
that's beautiful I know you're planning a wedding I can't believe we didn't get around to talking about that but <laughs> smashing the glass or a big horror <laughs> oh gosh I mean my non-Jewish partner really wants to smash the glass and he should he <laughs> but Absolutely. We'll, we'll do both <laughs> yeah and you know you can smash a glass as well if you want to I'm seeing a lot of that these days if you want to make that's it so interesting I will definitely look into that because he loved the idea of doing it for fun but then when I explained it really loved the idea of like what it holds and mm-hmm. the duality of emotion this is just my opinion but I, I know it's unwanted and not asked for I shouldn't really not say unwanted. <laughs> but it's not oh my gosh I shouldn't be saying this but okay I'm just saying it. I've started it's not a, it. for me for me personally it's not a Jewish wedding if you don't smash the glass and that's We're gonna smash that's it. just my opinion <laughs> because it's the moment it's a moment it's wow let the party start you know we're married mm-hmm. it's 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 electrifying so for those that don't know I have um I have a platform called smashing the glass which is all about Jewish weddings and planning it your way doing it your way and like I say that's just my opinion if you guys don't want to do it that's what I want you to do make sure it's your your decision and your decision but yeah have a look at have a look at smashing the glasses to see examples of how how people I've we've heard stories where people are smashing the glass with things like pinatas or someone did it someone what did they do they did really fun things people are doing all kinds of stuff so yeah definitely I think when one partner is Jewish one isn't there's really room for kind of literally excuse the pun stamping your foot on the traditions and really making them your own so um yeah gosh we got sidetracked there um so here's <laughs> going to be a tough one for you based on uh, should be an easy one but based on what you've been telling about your trip to Israel Jerusalem or Tel Aviv <gasps> <laughs> I know <laughs> mm, you know I didn't get to spend enough time in either transparently, but I have never felt an energy as electric as Tel Aviv's. Mm, mm, absolutely agree with you on that one. So I can't believe we didn't even talk about your fabulous podcast. We will have to get you in for, for a part two. So Law has a wonderful podcast with Ash um called Kvetching on the Couch. And my question for you is, who is the Jewish celebrity you would most want to have on your couch, on your podcast? (laughs) My gosh. So we don't give our guests these questions in advance because we want them. We want them. That's uh, such a hard question. Someone's coming in your mind. Spit it out. Spit it out. Who's coming to mind? (laughs) The first one. Oh no. Can it be like dead or alive? Or like we'll we'll come to that. We'll come to some dead or alive in a minute. You can make out the rules. If I said to you, Law, I've got this little bit of work. You have anyone on, but you've got to decide in 10 seconds. I, so, so I who, say, who I'd like, like, I think I'd like to chat with, with Jenny Slate. I'd be interested to have a chat with Jenny Slate. For what reason? I do think she's very funny. I actually think we, I've been told that we share quite a few mannerisms, but oh. I would, I would definitely be interested to like explore that further that I feel like I'd be, I'd be more inclined to have someone on that I could like probe into knowing less about them than somebody who I've admired for a long time, because that wouldn't be the forum that I'd want to sit down with somebody that I'd admired for um, much longer. Well, we'll put in the show notes a link to the podcast. There's so many good episodes. Thank fabulous, you. fabulous listening. Okay, couple more. And then we will, we will sadly have to say goodbye. But honestly, I'm not used to having kind of 
tears on my I can feel like my dry <laughs> eye tears on my cheeks I'm glad we're we're, we're we're doing it all today what small thing I guess it can be a big thing if you want to but what small thing is bringing you joy lately um intentional mindful movement I've taken up kickboxing and I go almost every morning during the week and I've just found that like I didn't know, I guess, how much joy that would bring me, but it really is just like very high intensity in a way that's really fun, just getting my day going in a way that I really enjoy with blasting music and then having the endorphins to move through my day. Inspired me. I used to do kickboxing many years ago and I loved it too. And uh, I love it. The rats, I don't you know, love the much rats. movement. Yeah, I yeah. will say like I don't. There haven't been a ton of forms of movement that I've been like called to. Like I cannot stand running. Yeah. I've done it. I'm okay at it. I don't enjoy it. So then I stopped doing it because I don't enjoy it. Kickboxing is really fun. Yeah, great. I'm and you've inspired me now to to restart <laughs> that, kickstart that, should I say? <laughs> so <laughs> finally, if you could have Friday night Shabbat dinner with any three Jewish people, dead or alive, who would they be and why? My great grandmother Sarah. That's my sister's namesake, and I never knew her. My great grandmother and her daughter. My grandmother separated from my great grandfather during the Holocaust to survive. And through my grandmother, I know pieces of her mother's story, but I've only ever heard her described as an absolutely incredible woman, but haven't been able to learn much more about her life and the decisions that she made that ultimately led to their survival and thus the creation of our family. So I really want to know her story. So I'd want, I'd want her there. I guess second, I would say Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's the first Jewish woman to be appointed to the United States Supreme Court and just one of the most influential Jewish women in history. And I would just simply love to speak with her that she has memories of living as a Jew in America that predate World War II and encompass World War II. And her experiences with that and as a woman battling constant sexism in America shaped the way that she showed up in the world and her conviction for fighting for equality for marginalized people and the relentlessness in her pursuit for justice. And last, I'd say, I'm going to take a turn. We're going to go with Leah from the Torah, Leah. Mm -hmm. She's my Hebrew namesake. My Hebrew name is Leah. And she's someone in the Torah whose story I just became really fascinated by because so many people know and accept Leah as the sister that Jacob didn't want or the ugly one by comparison to Rachel. And so, uh, like someone whose father, as a result, had to trick Jacob into marrying her. But I guess... In the story of Leah, I found myself struck by her unlikely optimism and her goal of being a part of establishing the tribes of Israel. And as she was undeterred from what she saw as her purpose and her loyalty to family and cause and her faith in God. And I just feel like it'd be amazing to speak to Leah about any or all of those things and the idea that when one feels unloved or unwanted, they might find their true meaning in finding and fulfilling their destiny rather than in somebody else and be able to remain true to that. So to me, those are three Jewish women who fought with like everything they had for me to exist. So mm. I can't really imagine what it would be like wow. to sit around the Shabbat table with them. <gasps> what an incredible answer and absolutely really amazing to hear the, your, your thoughts on there and that resonates. That really does. Laura, you have been an outstanding guest today 
we covered a lot but I feel like we didn't really get started at the same time <laughs> <laughs> well you just let me know Karen and we'll have to we can we'll do have a part, part two, two. When we have you on fetching on the couch as yeah. well we have you scheduled for that and that I'm will looking be forward. released and I'm excited Yes, I am so excited. We're playing podcast ping pong. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. Laura, it's been such an honor to have you on today. And thank you. Thank you. I can't thank you enough for having me. And just thank you to anyone listening. I hope that pieces of my story and journey resonated with someone. If this episode inspired you in some way, I'd love you to take a screenshot of you listening on your device and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at Your Jewish Life. I'd love to be Instagram friends. I'd also be thrilled if you wanted to share this episode with anyone you know who might benefit from it and subscribe so you don't miss an episode as well. If you want to do another mitzvah, if you leave a review, that would be amazing because that way more people get to see the podcast, get to know about the podcast and we can spread our wonderful Jewish joy all over. So that would be fabulous if you wanted to leave me a review. Just before I go, I've got a little gift for you and it's gonna put a big Jewish joy smile on your face and it is my personal ultimate Jewish joy Spotify playlist. It's 50 uplifting Jewish joy songs that are perfect for dancing around the living room or blasting out in the car and just immersing yourself in Jewish joy. It's the best Jewish music and Israeli music covering all kinds of genres and styles and it is so uplifting and so fun. It's guaranteed joy whether you're Jewish, Jewish or becoming Jewish. I think you're gonna love it so just head to yourjewishlife.co slash playlist to grab it that's yourjewishlife.co.co that is slash playlist playlist is all one word you can grab the spotify playlist and you can be dancing around your living room and feeling fabulous in a matter of minutes so off you go and i will see you back here for the next episode